Chapter Five of Dead Love Has No Chains by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five. Conrad Harling's cure was as complete as it had been rapid. He was like a creature newborn. His physical powers had been garnered in the house of bondage. Extreme care had been taken of his health during those years when the mind was frozen. Proper exercise had been insisted upon, slouching habits had been prevented. Every means that modern science could devise to keep the bodily machine in splendid working order had been employed. If this unhappy young man was to have only an automatic existence, that life should be the best of its kind. His doctors were profoundly interested in him as a remarkable case, a man whose mind had been killed by one sudden grief, a passionate young heart which had loved with such fiery ardour that the ruin of his love had been the ruin of his mind. No one at Roehampton had believed in his chances of recovery, and his cure made him doubly interesting as a case. The head physician discussed the situation gravely with Lady Mary. She had kept no particular of her son's foolish passion from him. She had told him all that she had learnt in a long interview with Meadows and his spinster sister. "'He has a very fine brain,' the doctor told her, "'and all the best qualities of manhood, pluck, resolution, presence of mind, energy, perseverance.' I have observed him carefully since he has been practically a sane man, and I have the highest admiration for his character, a preux chevalier, as every youngster of good birth and fortune who has never known the seamy side of life ought to be. But he has a highly emotional temperament. You'll wonder how I find that out, perhaps, seeing what a passionless thing life is in this place. Well, I'll tell you. His dog, that brown setter he's so fond of, was ill. The vet thought she was going to die. I saw despair in your son's face, yes, a grief that was almost despair. My tender-hearted boy! You will have to be very careful of him. An unhappy love affair in the morning of life made a wreck of him. You must do all you can to guard against a second shipwreck. He will go back to the world still in the flower of his strength, handsome, attractive, a magnetic young man. He will inevitably fall in love again and if his love is a happy one his future will be secure marriage will be his safest harbour with a wife he loves he will escape the dangers of imagination and temperament oh i hope he will make a happy marriage i know more than one sweet girl who would be a sweet wife and then lady mary's brow clouded with anxious thought you do not think it would be wrong for him to marry she asked no no there is nothing in this case to forbid marriage nothing in his history his mental upset was an accident but we are going to make very sure that his recovery is complete before he goes back to the world if you and he are to winter abroad i should advise some quiet place out of the beaten track where he may have time to take up the dropped threads of existence and to accustom himself to contact with strangers where strangers are few i have no fear for him he is a splendid fellow and if half a year hence you find his mental health established would it be necessary to tell the secret of those sad years to the girl he might want to marry or to her people the doctor reflected gravely i think you might ignore that history without compunction this opinion relieved lady mary's mind she felt she had not lied in vain she had all the summer in which to consider her winter abode conrad stayed at roehampton with an interval of three weeks at a seacoast village in devonshire untrodden by the tourist where he went with his mother and the house-doctor who had become his particular friend the doctor wanted a holiday and he went as the young man's comrade rather than his medical adviser 
here mary harling had the delight of seeing her son in the plenitude of mental and bodily health rejoicing in his strength like a young giant spending long days sailing a ten-ton yacht or tramping over the hills with the doctor making friends with the fishermen and coastguards interested in every living creature and in every aspect of nature as he had been in his early boyhood when all the world was new it was the miracle of a mind recreated a mind that revelled in a world whose beauty had been forgotten in that long slumber of the brain and where every common spectacle of nature seemed a thing of wonder the purple of those heather-clad hills the ineffable glory of those sunsets on the edge of the western sea the flowers in cottage gardens the gold hair and blue eyes of peasant children the rugged beauty of tawny-visaged fishermen splendid in their rough strength the earth and every common sight filled this new mind with joy and then there was that other world the new world of books poetry fiction history science were all taken up with a fierce rapture science most of all enchanted him he threw himself with ardour into the study of scientific progress of the secrets the universe had yielded up while he sat aloof as if in barbarossa's cavern and knew not the march of time he surprised his mother one day by some casual speech that showed he knew exactly how long he had stayed in the house of bondage he told her afterwards that he had found her last letter in one of his coats that had been sent from oxford the pockets of all his clothes had been emptied but this letter had slipped under a slit in the lining of a morning coat when memory revived the date of this letter which had been kept in his desk gave him the date of his captivity seven years he had been seven years without sense or knowledge he was now seven-and-twenty in appearance younger than his age for in that long sleep of the mind the lines that thought writes even on young faces had made no mark upon him he had an almost boyish air and outlook frank joyous alert eager he had all the characteristics that make youth enchanting he would have but to appear in order to conquer his mother thought admiring and adoring him what girl could resist such a lover oh that he might choose wisely that his manhood might be won by beauty and virtue after the lad's fatal infatuation for worthless charms his mother trembled when she thought of the second ordeal a passion that might in spite of all his gifts prove unfortunate the doctor advised that he should not go to cranford till he had spent some time among unfamiliar surroundings it was well also if there were anything in his manner any slight deviation from common ways which might hint at the secret of his long seclusion that there should be time for the strangeness to wear off before he went among his own people his mother told him the story she had invented to account for his disappearance he laughed and praised her for her tactfulness our friends may question you perhaps she said about my travels let them interrogate to their heart's content i will not leave a square mile of central africa unexplored from the congo to zanzibar there shall not be an acre that i can't talk about i will familiarize myself with every squall that ruffles the tanganyika with every treacherous current on the nyanza there are books and maps enough to give me every light and shadow over every mile of african travel i shan't quail before the keenest explorer i may run against all i want is to know where i am supposed to have been this was after he had been at liberty for half a year and when he and his mother were going back to england and to hertford street they had spent the winter and early spring at a delicious villa among hills covered with olive woods between spezia and lerici 
they had been alone together with only a christmas visit from the young doctor conrad's friend at roehampton daisy meredith had been given a long holiday with her own people whom lady mary paid handsomely for the entertainment of their daughter a detail that was scrupulously hidden from daisy herself who wondered at a certain deference to her tastes and wishes hitherto unknown in the home circle it was not till the blackthorns were in blossom in cranford park that conrad went back to the house where he was born the home that he had left full of buoyant life seven years before going back to oxford in the trinity term and it was in that trinity term in the freshness of the early summer that his fate had found him swift as the arrows of phoebus apollo a lad's first love had stricken him with its consuming fever that wild unreasoning love the first strong impulse of the passionate heart had exalted a common coquette into a goddess dazzled by a faultless face blind to all that should have warned and repelled him the impassioned boy gave up heart and mind to his enchantress friendly undergraduates hinted things and even after youth's careless fashion tried to save him but he had taken fire at the slightest word she was peerless she was perfect earth held no girl who could compare with her what did her surroundings matter he would take her away from that vulgar world she was fit to be an emperor's wife and it would be sweet humility in her to accept him who had nothing to offer but his money thus and thus had he argued in that romantic dream which had enthralled him a dream of a brief summer term and a summer vacation which seemed an eternity of joy and pain blotting out every memory of the years that had gone before he thought he had not lived till he met her in those placid restful days among the italian hills the book of memory had opened itself and conrad had spent many an hour wandering alone and dreaming over the passionate story that had cost him nearly eight years of his life that was the price of an unreasoning love eight years perhaps the best years of a young man's life the miracle was that he had not killed himself in his despairing rage when he found how worthless a creature he had worshipped it might be that only madness the sudden extinction of thought and memory had saved him from suicide he looked back and went step by step through the old dream with a calm mind the love was dead as babylon or nineveh a heap of ashes a monument of folly to meditate upon with self-contempt in the earlier days of his recovery the girl's face came back to him out of the clouds her beauty shone like a star then little by little as memory strengthened he lived again through every detail and circumstance of his love story and following that story stage by stage he saw what an abject fool passion had made of him he remembered moments of jealous doubt sudden suspicions lulled to rest by a smile hard questions answered with a caress he recalled his aching sense of the chaperon's vulgarity his torture of jealousy when he saw other admirers favoured other undergraduates young and attractive he remembered the figure of the pugilist loafing in the inn garden or drinking in the bar or rowing or playing cricket a cheap alcides with a certain picturesque beauty of strength and graceful movement and he remembered that never for one instant had he thought of this man as a possible rival the folly the commonness of it all sickened him he did not even want to know what had become of her the goddess of a single summer he wanted not to know never to hear her name again never to see any one or anything that could remind him of her happily there was no question of his going back to oxford to work for his degree his trustees had kept his name upon the college books but his mother would not even speak of the place 
people at cranford neighbours servants hangers-on were delighted at his reappearance among them he was so handsome and looked so young whatever dark suspicions had been harboured by friends or dependents as the years went by and he was still absent were made not by his return no trace of past suffering shadowed the glory of his manhood he was the ideal youth taking pleasure in all the things that youth ought to love daisy beheld him with wonder when she came back to cranford she had seen him in hertford street in that agonizing interval before his banishment to roehampton she had seen him a wreck she alone was in the secret of his lost years for even the servants had been taught to believe that his disordered brain was a passing trouble the natural symptom of a fever and that he had recovered and had gone to africa with a friend only daisy knew the truth and daisy's kind heart overflowed with gladness at finding him completely restored she was glad for his mother's sake indeed it was impossible not to rejoice in lady mary's joy joy that made her step light as a girl's her laughter gay as a child's her hands eager to scatter benefits on the poor and needy they spent more than a month at cranford before going to london for the season and lady mary entertained all her rural neighbours the people who had been mystified by her son's absence who had speculated about him and had lamented over him and pitied his mother at many a rural tea-table and who beholding her young absalom in his strength and beauty felt that they had wasted their pity after all i suppose he was only roaming about the world said the squire's wife young men nowadays have such a rage for exploring he had better have stayed at home and taken the hounds said the squire it would have been more to his credit than globe-trotting but you'll allow that travelling opens the mind urged a spinster aunt don't talk nonsense juliana do you suppose a young man can learn anything from kaffirs or south sea islanders but the great book of nature to see that unfolded sighed juliana wouldn't he see enough of nature in a day with the hounds do you think there's more education in an african swamp than in a field of turnips or a forty-acre pasture i have no patience with the rage for wasting english money on ox-wagons and black porters while english farmers have to give up breeding hunters because they can't sell em the hunting was all over before conrad and his mother came home but he rode every day exploring every bit of country within riding distance of cranford he insisted on teaching daisy to ride she having come back somewhat pallid and wan from the arid wilderness of north london and the domestic bickerings why had she not ridden in all these years with a stud of hunters eating their heads off lady mary blushed at the question which struck her as a reproach she had thought a governess cart and a sturdy pony good enough for daisy a cart in which to drive herself about among the scattered homesteads and cottages carrying charitable gifts or kindly messages visiting the sick and making herself beloved by young and old since she was not of the strong-minded order even when she saw things that were amiss her word of reproof in due season was as mild as other people's blessings and now lady mary felt that a young woman of daisy's fine health and figure ought to have been allowed to take some more pleasure out of the horses than feeding them with sugar or apples on a morning visit to the stables the horses had been there growing stale and elderly for eight years and no one but the corn-dealer and the grooms had profited by their existence i didn't know that she would care about riding said lady mary she was such a thorough cockney before she came to me she would adore it i asked her yesterday when she was petting mayflower the old mare don't you know clever as a cat and quiet as a sheep she flushed up like a child you get her a habit and mayflower and i will soon teach her to ride 
the habit was procured from a southampton tailor in less than a week while mayflower was being broken to the side saddle and daisy was soon scouring the country by her cousin's side you women have all got light hands conrad said you've only to learn how to use em and you sit your horse uncommonly well for a beginner and you've a neat figure and a wild rose complexion that doesn't turn scarlet after a gallop he continued within himself he did not want to flatter the young lady she was a kind of cousin and he treated her in a brotherly way that was charming he carried her off for a ride nearly every morning forgetting that she was his mother's companion and ought to be winding silks for the landscape on the embroidery frame the mill-stream and poplars that lady mary had been engaged upon in her cabin when she talked to jane brown he found a second horse for her and he showed himself so wise in his selection that no harm ever came to her from either mount he made her play croquet with him and here she was the adept and could give him bisques for which humiliation he revenged himself in the evening at billiards it was a humdrum kind of existence but just the existence that was best for him in the opinion of the roehampton doctors lady mary began to take alarm was he falling in love with daisy meredith daisy who was charming as a dependent and protege but who was utterly inadequate for the proud position of conrad harding's wife except that she was a good and pure woman she would be almost as objectionable as the innkeeper's daughter for the blood of lady mary's ducal race had been filtered through more than one plebeian family before the union of daisy's parents and those parents were in themselves particularly objectionable a husband and wife who quarrelled and parted once a year who were always impecunious and always trying some new device for earning money the man in the city the woman in the suburbs singing mistress lady milliner lady cook beauty doctor there was no limit to the potentialities of discredit or even of disgrace lady mary would hardly have been surprised to read of mrs meredith's debut at a music-hall for the unfortunate woman had a fine contralto voice which daisy had inherited she was surprised to discover the girl so much prettier than she had ever thought her hitherto perhaps it was the influence of youth conrad's buoyant temper the rides the games the long days in sun and wind that had given such lucid beauty to the large grey eyes such a brightness of rose and lily to the fair young face daisy was six-and-twenty and had talked of herself as passe and had so considered herself for some time yet every year she saw beauties reigning triumphantly in their seventh or eighth season growing only of more imperious and world-renowned charms as the years went by like peaches slowly ripening on a southern wall where every hour of sunshine deepens the crimson and amber of their bloom lady mary began to think that daisy was pretty enough to be dangerous and then she was the first english girl conrad had met in his new life there lay the peril she was certainly the prettiest girl in that part of the world but although daisy as a typical young woman was charming daisy's people made her impossible remembering the doctor's grave counsel lady mary told herself that however impossible a girl might be from her point of view if conrad set his heart upon marrying her he must not be opposed in his desire indeed his mother must be thankful that his choice had fallen on a virtuous woman he must not be thwarted he must not be disappointed the passionate heart that had suffered so cruel an agony of lad's love must not suffer from the nobler love of manhood he must not be opposed but he might be managed lady mary announced her intention of going to london directly after the whitsuntide holidays london will be at its best she said conrad owned frankly that he preferred the country 
but he expressed himself pleased to go wherever his mother liked i know you love mayfair better than the most romantic spot on earth ma'am he said smiling at her he always addressed her as ma'am in their lighter moods mother was a word for confidences and quiet talk when they were alone i was born there lady mary answered simply that was a solecism you ought to have been born at one of the ducal seats a town-house wasn't worthy of my stately mother i think you must have been stately even as a child you wore your sash with an air and crushed the nursery footman if he forgot to bring your bread and milk on a salver they were settled in hertford street early in june when west end london was certainly at its best a glorified city full of people whose only business was pleasure full of blossoming trees and brilliant flower-beds and exquisite frocks and hats and beautiful faces full of fashions that caught the eye from their novelty just queer enough to be called chic and that would be hackneyed and stale at brixton before the end of the summer lady mary opened her house as it had never been opened since mr harling's death her hospitalities were bounded only by the limits of time and opportunity she gave two dinners a week and had people at luncheon every day but all her little entertainments were part of one deep laid scheme to bring the most eligible girl she could find into her son's company until some day the girl of girls would be found among those eligible ones and conrad would marry to the delight of his heart and the increase of his social distinction so much in lady mary's world depended on a young man's choice of a wife whether he should be double his weight in the social scale or have it to marry daisy would be to have it there were at least ten girls in lady mary's visiting book who were eligible and of these six were beauties while three were great heiresses and one was the daughter of a famous politician whose prestige and influence would assure a young man's success in the parliamentary arena lady mary watched the effect produced by each of these gifted ten and although she saw her son pleased to find himself sitting next to a lovely face or a vivacious companion or a girl who could talk politics with ease and discretion she could perceive no sign of his being seriously impressed she returned to the charge day after day following up a luncheon and the charm of a huge picture hat with a dinner and the attraction of parian shoulders and rounded arms and all this beauty left conrad cold he talked he danced he even flirted mildly with lady mary's eligibles but he showed no preferences a pretty girl was a pretty girl and no more he had no more romantic ideas about them than peter bell had about a primrose by the river's brim the better they waltzed or the better they could talk the better he liked them and his mother observed with regret that it was the girls who had done their four or five seasons whose society conrad most affected their vivacity and keen criticism of life amused and interested him everything interested him it was a mind new-born the life of the mind was new science literature art music facts fancies superstitions follies all things were new at eight-and-twenty years of age he was still in the flower of his youth strong as a lion and he had the freshness of a lad of twenty just escaped from a public school in the country his horses and dogs had been enough for amusement in london the novel pleasure of rushing through the air on the last and finest development of the motor science took his fancy and he had not been in hertford street ten days before he had established his garage and become owner of a panhard and a mercedes he spent his money with royal magnificence and on finding that his mother's income could not afford more than occasional stalls at the opera he hurried off to bond street and wrote a cheque for a box on the grand tier 
now ma'am you need have no more trouble about your seats on the wagner nights he said you will be as much at home at covent garden as in your own drawing-room and i shall drop in every night when it isn't wagner his love of music was not the educated love the old operas pleased him best the operas with stories that he could understand and melodies that haunted him lucretia borgia rigoletto traviata faust and his first favourite don giovanni he had the gaiety of heart which charms invitations poured in upon him manoeuvring mothers courted him he was handsome he was rich and of unblemished character since his mother's intense pride in him was a warranty for his good conduct during those years of travel he had not spent too much money he had not been troublesome he was quite the most popular young man of his season lady mary rejoiced in his gladness with a swelling heart rejoiced with wonder she had feared that the shadow of those blank years the memory however dim of that long captivity would never leave him that through all his after-life the thought of what he had been would be a recurring pain and that he would never be quite as other men of his age and now she knew that he was superior to other men that the long slumber of his faculties had made him a stronger man on his awakening it did not even pain him to speak of the past or of things that touched upon the past he showed his mother a photograph of stella meadows in an evening frock with a liberal display of shoulders and arms a girl who has no opportunities of wearing evening dress likes to be photographed in it lady mary owned that the girl was beautiful absolutely refined in feature and expression it was difficult to think of her as a rustic innkeeper's daughter still more difficult to think of her as the mistress of a pugilist but at oxford lady mary had heard something about the girl's mother and a scandal attaching to the girl's birth which suggested a more aristocratic origin a patrician lover a deceived husband while she looked at the photograph lady mary had a vague memory of another face of the same delicate type though not actually resembling this face she tried to remember when and where she had seen it and worried her brain for half a day in the effort to remember when suddenly as she sat in her victoria stopping by the park rails to talk to her friends the scene in her cabin on the electra came back to her and the face of jane brown it is not the face of a pure woman thought lady mary wondering at this resemblance of character and expression rather than form the vague something which made one face suggest the other jane brown had not written as she had asked her to say that things had gone well with her lady mary had almost counted on such a letter as a natural expression of gratitude for kindness experienced in a day of misery but it might be that things had not gone well the wretched girl might not have survived her hour of trial might not have lived to clasp a child to her heart and to devote herself to a life of atonement and self-sacrifice as mary harling who took a severe view of the situation had hoped she might in her motherly kindness she had imagined a future of grey peace perhaps with a husband some humble-minded christian willing to take a penitent to his heart and cherish her with a sober affection as a brand saved from the burning but no word had come and lady mary inclined to think that jane brown was lying in the last long sleep in some neglected churchyard in a lonely parish hidden away in the south of ireland where the long roll of the atlantic breakers would lament over the short sin-stained life lady mary had little time to think of jane brown in this joyous midsummer with her son's animated presence bursting in upon her matronly occupations at all hours of the day he adored his mother 
and was never in the house long without giving her a taste of his company over and above the social hours of eating and drinking together those cheerful gatherings in a handsome dining-room which must surely be regretted as a memory of something that was pleasant when the chemists of the future have found out a way of sustaining healthy and vigorous life on tabloids conrad's high spirits were a continual feast and a continual surprise to his mother from the hour when he heard her manner of accounting for his absence he had treated his african travels as a stupendous joke that his mother the severely truthful could lie for him was to his mind an astounding instance of maternal love and to him the african fable was an inexhaustible source of amusement so far from shirking any allusion to his travels he led people on to question him and he was never tired of reciting his adventures in that wonderful world he had collected every book of travels that had appeared since livingstone first kindled the british mind with enthusiasm for african adventure he had read himself into africa and there was no detail of the life no thrilling moment of discovery no vivid impression of the picturesque in land or water mountain or forest no colour of earth or sky that he had not absorbed and made part and parcel of his own mind with stanley with cameron with burton with trivier he had wandered and wondered he plagiarized freely but from so wide a variety of writers that he was not afraid of being found out not even when almost in cameron's very words he thrilled a luncheon party by his impressions at first sight of the tanganyika or when with stanley he plunged into the blue waters of the zambezi for his morning bath and found himself tumbling about among a herd of hippopotami adventures with native kings adventures in dugout canoes on tempest-tossed lakes adventures with elephants lions antelopes hair-breadth escapes of every kind he had them all at the service of his friends and was admired as the most vivid of colorists the most graphic of narrators his mother and daisy meredith heard and marvelled and sometimes ventured a grave reproof which he laughed away the initial lie having been told there can be no harm in expatiating upon it he said and remember daisy all my adventures are true absolutely and matter-of-factly true although they didn't happen to me but i shall have to make them really true some day for i think i have caught the african fever and then your conscience will be lightened of a burden and you and my mother can sleep easy in your beds lady mary exclaimed and remonstrated could she ever know a night's rest if he were a traveller on that dark continent where when two go together only one returns End of chapter 5